Welcome to Chapter 25 of the Kinsman Die Podcast, home of fantasy fiction based on Norse mythology that's written and read by me, Matt Bishop. In this podcast, I read my first novel, Kinsman Die, one chapter at a time. Every 10 chapters or so, I recap the key plot points and provide some insight into the myths I've referenced in the book, as well as some of the creative choices I've made along the way. Today, we're back with Vafrunir. The last time we were with him, he'd met with his childhood friend, the Skrymir, High Chief of the Jotun. In that meeting, they discussed their nefarious plans for the Asir. Let's do this. Chapter 25. Vathrudnir. Hill Tribe is not convinced that stealing supplies will help, Vathrudnir's Fulgia whispered. But the other chiefs are, so she's fighting an uphill. Very funny, Vathrudnir broke in. Torso bare, tattoos of faded blue around his wrists, he sat cross-legged on a thick hide he'd placed beside an ice-covered pool fed by a meandering river in the dead forest outside Jotunheim. His heavy tunic and fur-lined cloak lay behind him. Even before Sol had risen, he'd slipped from beside his wife and out past Jotunheim's walls. Now, with Don striding toward him, he was almost calm enough to throw his mind down into the waters before him. I thought you'd appreciate that. Anyway, she hasn't swayed any of the others. But she's trying. He remembered a time when this river had run straight, or nearly so, through this same forest, and a time, much later, when children had splashed in the pool that had gradually formed as the river bent to avoid the dying forest. To his fulgia, he said, her efforts probably would have been more fruitful if Hill hadn't been so enriched from trade with the Asir. He set an iron pot full of icy water drawn from the pond onto the stones set in the small fire before him. From his satchel, he withdrew a bundle of dried herbs and a battered metal cup, he dropped the herbs into the pot, stoked the flames, and set the cup in front of him. That's what the other chiefs have been saying, his Fulgia agreed. The pool before him was much deeper than he was tall, which mattered because he'd be sending his spirit deep, too. And it helped that sitting here dredged up sad memories with which he stoked the embers of his hatred. Come help me, he said, closing his eyes. I'd really rather not. That thing's terrifying. Vathrunir opened his eyes and stared at his lithe, translucent fulgia. The plume of his breath merged with the fire's smoke. Oh, all right. Down he went, his hooger slipping through the waters like a silver-bellied salmon. He swam against the current, casting his mind out, seeking an eddy. The worm always found him in the eddies. A voice came to him, even as the waters calmed around him. I am here, weaver. Why do you trouble me again? to request a boon. Something vast shifted in the darkness below him. And what do you offer in return? What do you want? Vathrudnir said. A way out, of course. In granting the boon, you may find that much sooner than we planned. Vathrudnir sent the words out into the currents. Little boats set adrift by children. There's nothing of that in the Norns scratchings. They limit even you? Again, he had that sense of movement, of an uncoiling, a rising. Inside his mind, Vathrudnir's Fulgia whispered, That was foolish. Get to the point. Vathrudnir spoke again. Ig will soon return to Gladsame. We suspect he'll seek counsel. That will put him close to the well. 
My broodlings dealt with his uncle, as you asked. How does revealing myself to Yig help me? The Norns prevent you from leaving. They prevent nothing, shaman. Apologies, great worm. I meant solely that their scratchings mark when you will break free. But does the same apply to your children? Surely some of them are old enough, strong enough to deal with him. When the worm spoke again, Vathurnir felt the first sizzle of venom in the water. So you suggest I capture the little father, then send one of mine into him? I think that would help you more than me. With respect, it helps us both. He's a threat to our plans. Yes, suborning him removes an obstacle in our path. But that same action, unforeseen though it was, may be one of the steps that brings about your release. Are you telling me, then, that you'll fail if he's present? You guaranteed success. The venom began to sting. His mind's voice grew hoarse. I stand by that promise, Great Worm. Our plan will succeed. But I can't see all the runes cut and painted by the Norns. Perhaps this path is the one set forth. If not, there will be others. Now, as the venom began to burn, his folia wrapped herself around him like a cloak. The pain receded, and he spoke again. Your snares have worked before. Partially, it agreed. I will do as you ask, but promise nothing. Vathrenir sensed a vast bulk turning and a tail flicking. The current surged, his eddy vanished. He tumbled upward, mined a fire from the venom-laced waters until he slammed back into his flesh. Vathrudnir opened his eyes to a gray sky, back aflame from lying in the freezing snow. He rolled onto all fours, retched, and pushed himself up. He dragged a shaking hand across his mouth, beard crusted with ice from his breath, and huddled before the fire. The water in the pot bubbled with the light fragrance of ripe apples and fresh honey. Wrapping his hand in a fold of his cloak, Vathrudnir lifted the pot from the fire and poured the tea into his cup. The iron pot hissed at him when he set it in the snow. Hands already trembling a bit less, he brought the cup to his lips and sipped. Warmth spread through him, and he relaxed further. If I didn't know why you did this to yourself, his Fulgia said, I'd question why I stay with you. Well, folks, that was chapter 25 of Kinsmen Die. I hope you enjoyed it. We were with Vathrudnir as he went on a spirit journey to request aid from an entity with whom he has apparently dealt with before. Please take a few moments to rate and or review the podcast. That provides valuable feedback for me and helps boost the show's visibility, as does sharing it. And if you're so inclined, shoot me an email at mattbishoprights at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. As always, I'm going to read from the Havamal, Sayings of the High One. And I'll be reading from both the Bellows and the Larrington translations. Bellows, verse 25. The foolish man for friends all those who laugh at him will hold. But the truth, when he comes to the council, he learns that few in his favor will speak. Larrington, verse 25. The foolish man thinks that everyone is his friend who laughs with him. But then he finds, when he comes to the assembly, that he has few to speak on his behalf. 
The term assembly refers to the regional assemblies, the things in which the people in these in these regions, typically mainland Scandinavia and Iceland, come together to resolve law cases. And they're a big topic in the sagas in particular. A lot of drama, a lot of action, a lot of legal machinations and even outright physical uh, attacks happen at the, at the all thing in particular. Verse 25 highlights a theme similar to the one in verse 24, that an unwise person cannot see through the shallow signs of friendship, while a wise person, by implication, can identify their true friends and will thus have people who will speak on their behalf at the assemblies or perhaps more broadly in everyday life. Thanks for listening.